Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, and Northampton Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed, and joining me ahead of the upcoming game be Chat on Athletic, a free cobblers addicts. It's Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney, and Ian Brunt. How are you doing, guys? Really good, Tom. Good stuff. All right, mate. Good here. Good stuff, guys. Andy, you've had a busy week of football, no doubt. Your life falls around football to an extent. Have you got a football moment of the week for us? Yeah, amidst the you know the moral decay of uh, late late stage capitalism which is encroaching on the, the sport we love. Um, I quite enjoyed Shakhtar winning 3-2 at Real Madrid this week, to be honest, in the Champions League. Because, you know, that's that's the sort of result that if the big boys get their way, you know, we might not see too much more of. So I quite enjoyed that, really. Particularly with, you know, their situation, the, basically the entire club coming down with COVID. 13 first teamers out, I think. They bomb over to Real and stick it to Zizou. And, you know, I quite enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was just an eye-catching result, um, you know, with sort of the, um, the, 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 you know, the, the sort of wider context of, you know, the bigger clubs trying to take the ball and and, play, and make their own game again. Just go away and do it. We don't care anymore. <laughs> exactly. Well said. And yeah, very apt, given the context of the supposed Euro Premier League, which has been mooted at the moment. That's a good one, Andy. Martin, how you doing, buddies? You've been keeping your ear to the ground with tales of football this week. A lot of interesting, interesting stuff. Mine will be a bit more down to earth. I will just say, though, Real Madrid and Shakhtar Donetsk was watched in the X and 1 out here at NN3. And I enjoyed every moment. But I think we probably could be disparaging sometimes about about Premier League football, about big plans and plans that often are self-interested. There is something wonderful about the Premier League this year in terms of the competitiveness of it and the um, unpredictability of it. Spurs West Ham, my oh my. Spurs three up. And I think I I might have even thought, I'd best take a look. Spurs to win the league because no one else is really getting it done. They're three up. And, of course, check the score at the end, and it's like, what a comeback. The Spurs fan who, and, he, and it's great that he took it in such good humour, who tweeted, we're bringing on Bale, they're bringing on Lanzini, laughing emoji. There was a few things with um, football this week, but I think sometimes that just that teams that think they're good not doing so well, things unexpected happening, and West Ham being a team that you should just never bet on a game they're involved in. So, yeah, it was like that was it's kind of classic Premier League. And I think the Premier League this year is going to be brilliant, not because there's all wonderful people involved, just there's a little bit of chaos and 
Everyone's beating everyone. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's a good week for the underdogs. Donetsk and West Ham doing pretty well. I've got a few West Ham United fans and they've been through the mill with their owners. They've got problems and there's a bit of a grudge with the owners at the moment. So it was nice for them to put that to one side for a game and just that brilliant comeback. And I saw a video online of some of their fans in pubs in East London, Essex and places like that. And they were going crazy. So that was pretty cool. So fair play up the hammers. Ian. You've been doing similar, keeping your ear, going to Chili Village for your dinner. What's, uh, what's your football moment of the week? Yeah, I was on the way to Chili Village, just checking my phone, <laughs> like, you know, what's going on in the world of football. You know, like the points you made earlier about, you know, what's going on at, the, at one end of the game with the, you know, basically. And I don't think, actually, we should hold it against fans of these clubs. You know, we all know Man United fans, don't we? We all know Arsenal fans. We all know Liverpool fans. And I don't even have a problem with the manager. You know, everyone knows Jurgen Klopp's a great guy. Um, he's probably got similar political leanings to ourselves. Bill Shankly certainly did, didn't he? And look at Marcus Rashford as well. So I don't hate Man U. I don't hate Liverpool. I just think the billionaire owners who just want to use these, uh, these clubs as a venture to get richer shouldn't be allowed anywhere near, you know, a position where they control the game. So... Yeah. At the other end of the game, you know, our end of the game, there's two two things, um, both trust-related, that, that sprang out this week. Um, I always get the community trust and the actual supporters' trust mixed up. Um, I noticed, just by the way, briefly, that the Cobblers, the actual you know supporters' trust, advertising for positions um, online, which is good, great fun engagement. So hopefully, you know, we often see people on social media um, making digs, saying, oh, you know, you're an elite group, you're a, you're, a, you're a clique, you know, you don't speak for the fans. Well, they're now actually asking for fans to come forward and, and help out. So I'm sure those people that do that will be putting their money where their mouth is and dedicating their time and efforts to the club they, they love. Um, second comment, uh, the community trust, I noticed, I think it was in the news today in the Chronic and Echo, that they... Um, they took the playoff trophy to a terminally ill Cobblers fan. And they said, you know, the guy was given, I think, five months to live in February. Um, still going, obviously got to witness that great playoff win. And yeah, now he's had the trophy come around. Yes. Don't really think that's going to happen if you're an Arsenal or a Man United or a, a fan, um, is it? They're not going to bring, you know, the Premier League trophy around. They're not going to win the Premier League in the first place anyway to bring it round to your house but you know less likely to happen so when you when you're lucky enough to support a club like we do you know this kind of thing does happen and it just just goes to show how much these smaller clubs are part of their communities that's that's a really good point it's brilliant it's brilliant absolutely i've seen them uh the community trust they've got this loneliness campaign or anti-loneliness campaign so they might ring some people up that are a bit vulnerable or you know take a trophy round or invite them into the club so that's 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 a really nice that's a really nice concept and a really nice um, thing to do. And like you say, it just shows that lower league clubs often do have a, a stronger link to their community because th- th- they exist in the community and they're not just some massive corporation. That you see these these massive rich clubs now that are, are looking to operate, you know, transcontinentally. You lose that sense of community, I think. So that's a really good one, Ian. Um, my one's actually sort of a feel-good story as well, and on community level my football moment of the week because I saw that Newcastle United supporters had raised uh, about 19,000, 20,000 by choosing to give money that they would normally spend on those pay-per-view games. I think it's 1495. Uh, they gave it to a local food bank charity. So I thought that was a, a, yeah. a really nice, a really nice touch. And 
Yeah, though I think it was a game against Man United as well, which is a big draw for Newcastle fans, their fanatics up there. Uh, Newcastle lost 4-1, but it doesn't really matter. And they, they just uh, all grouped together. The Newcastle United Supporters Trust was involved. They've raised, you know, up nearly £20,000. And I think Liverpool fans are doing it and it's sort of spreading now. There's a there's a wholesale rejection of this pay-per-view when people already can subscribe to um, Sky Sports and stuff like that. So I, I thought that was a, a really feel-good thing. What do you, re- you re- reckon, Martin? That's oh, a good thing, Castle. It, it, it's it's brilliant. Um, we're all the same on it, and we all face similar problems in our communities. And you know, I think that's that's kind of leading from the front. That's rather than grumbling, it, there's some good leadership up there. Um, and as people do, you know, doing the right thing, rather than just saying our club, you know, our club, this Sky Sports app, actually focusing something that makes a difference and. Perhaps I'll just suggest, because it, it feels like he shouldn't be left out. Marcus Rashford should be in this every week, because I think he's had an, another blinder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And at least one Tory had the decency to resign to Darcy. But it can't be about him every week. So apologies to Marcus from all of us. <laughs> no, I think I think we should go on about Marcus Rashford, you know, all the time. He's, he's still... He's still acting with real dignity and, and care. And he's been through this situation before. If you read up on him, he he relied on school meals and, you know, it built him into the, the footballer he is today. You know, without that basic necessity of food, what, what would he have become, really? So that's a really interesting one. And it's important to note as voters as well that I think yeah, both MPs for Northampton, Northampton North and Northampton South, the Conservative MPs voted down the uh, Labour um was it the amendment? There was a there was a yeah a uh, something in government to to do with the the child poverty, and they voted against it, which I just think is pretty horrendous, isn't it? What if a government isn't there? If the state isn't there to um maintain make sure that everyone has got enough and every child has got enough food, what is it actually there for? When things are more important than making sure kids are fed, you're in the wrong job if you're in government. You know, it's 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 fairly fundamental. And what's good is that Mark Rashford will not just appeal to the heart as some of us would. Yeah. He's there, he going out with numbers, you know, with evidence. And I think that's what makes him uncomfortable. And long may it continue. You know, every everyone, I think I tweeted the other day, be more Marcus Rashford. You'll be a better person. Okay, then let's move on to one of our own. Ace animator Dan Hardman. He's had a massive week after an animation he did of Pierre Aubameyang's FA Cup final winning goal went viral. It's not the first time for Cobblers fan Dan, whose father is a long-standing town supporter as well. It must have been a mad week for you, Dan. After the man himself, Aubameyang, retweeted your work. Yeah, absolutely mental. Phone's not stopped pinging since yesterday. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, we'll put the the goal itself on Twitter. It's it's a lovely goal. Was it just a goal that you liked or was it one that you thought would lend itself to making a good animation? Uh, I, I get the odd request here and there. And uh, someone, an Arsenal fan, told me to do it. Um, so I looked through a few angles um, and I saw a certain angle that I thought would look good. Yeah, so I'm just watching it now. And it's uh, like I said, we'll put it on our Twitter, but it's a, it's a brilliant goal. The, the important, the, the interesting thing about it is it's just his close control. And it's not like a power goal. It's not a Tony Abura finish. It's a, you know, it's a drop of the shoulder in there, skins yeah. a player and eventually it chips a keeper. So that's, you know, it's a, quite a subtle finish. How does it go from you releasing this 
um, this video, this animation, to ending up with the player himself retweeting it. How does that work? It's a lot of lot and a lot of me begging people to, to try and share it. I tagged a few Arsenal accounts. I know an owner of an Arsenal account that's got a fair few followers, so he, he was able to share it for me. And then on, on the same day, the FA Cup shared it, which was very fortunate, because uh, I think once they shared it, I think that's probably when Arsenal would have seen it. And then once Arsenal shared it, that's how Aubameyang saw it, I imagine. I just think it's amazing that you you get it under the nose of a player with. Let me have a look at his his followers. I think it's 1.6 million. 1.6 million followers, and he's retweeted that. So that's just um, sort of showcasing your work to you know that many people, and it's a really cool thing, isn't it? Yeah, really cool of him to do as well because uh, it's not just sharing; it's the fact that he put my username in after as well, which he didn't have to yeah. do. Yeah, proper, proper nice of him. Has someone made a uh, song to go with it? Like uh, some sort of yeah, song just, to go with it? I just saw it a couple of hours ago. There was like, uh, I got tagged in on Instagram with someone made like a, an African remix to it, <laughs> which is pretty funny if you ask me. I thought it was genius. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's really nice when other sort of creative people are uh, sort of vibing off your work as well and doing their own thing with it. I think that's really, that's really cool. How do you describe the um, what? Sorry, what's the name of the the animation that you do? This this specific sort of goal uh, animation. Uh, so it's called a, a rotoscope. Uh, it's where you you draw out each individual frame and you put it into a sequence. And how long would it take on average? Like for instance, how long would the Aubameyang, if you don't mind sharing your secrets, how long would it have taken to do roughly? So Aubameyang one took about. Two months in total to make. I, I saw. I plugged away at it. It was two to three hours every day. So like 140 hours. Wow. Not many people realise there's there's months of work gone into it. Yeah, it was really good to see actually some of the comments. There was some talk about how smooth it was, and I'd I'd up the the frame rate compared to the previous one. So to the um, Messi Urzel one that I did, uh, that was 12 frames per second, and I upped this one to. Yeah, it was about 17 frames per second. So, like, in layman's, layman's terms, what is up in the frame rate? What, how can you explain what uh, that is? So, up in the oh, frame rate is, so, so for rotoscope, when, when you draw out a frame, that is one image. So, it's how many images you can fit into a, a second. So, if I do 17 frames into a second, that's how many images the person will see in a second without realising. Let's talk about a couple of your other videos, because... This isn't the first time you've gone viral um, with your work. You showed me a couple of other videos. I actually saw them myself. I remember the Meza Ozil one stands out for me. Um, yeah. Slightly, uh, maybe for the untrained eye, slightly more for when it's, you know, effect. But I, I quite like the simplicity of it. That was another one where the player himself, I think, retweeted it. Is that right? Yeah, he, he shared it on his... Um on his Twitter and Instagram. So my Instagram went from like 100 followers to, to 1,300 um, in the space of a couple of days. <laughs> so with your videos, do you look for vi- um, videos not too many defenders getting in their way? Because in the Mesut Ozil one, you've got the defenders in like a green colour, uh, which I quite like. It's that's sort of out of, the fr- uh, out of the picture to an extent. It shows you how in control of the ball he was. But do you try and find videos that are slightly less messy? And- yeah, I do. I do try and look at videos where there isn't too much going on um, in the scene, just so it makes my life a bit easier. But for that Urza one, I, I was I was searching for about an hour for for different angles, and I found an editor who mashed the clips up together, which was quite nice. It made my job a lot easier. <laughs> it must be nice when you, if you're searching for a video or whatever, and you're like, oh, I can't. There's a goal. I really want to do this one. Can't get, get a video. Video, and then finally you come across a video that's the right angle, and you're like, oh, this is the one. 
I can actually get to get to work on it. Yeah, definitely. For the for the Northampton one, I did. I, there was zero angles for it. I had to do the TV angle, and it was it was horrible doing because I, I knew as I was doing it that the quality of it wouldn't be as good just because everything's so small and pixelated. Um, so it's really nice when you find the right video. The other guy I was looking at is Son from Tottenham, a really good player. Yeah. You seem to choose some really like very subtle players, which I like. Son v Burnley. Uh, yeah. That was a beautiful one because he's in full, which I like as well. Uh, and people trying to trying to tackle him in full flight and they just they just can't get to him. I think that's yeah. a really I, good one. Is that one of your favourite? Yeah, I really like that goal. Uh, yeah, it, I don't think it was one of the ones that did the best, but it was definitely one of my favourites just just for the goal. And it ended up winning goal of the season, I think, as well, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that one's one of my favourites, just to see the players flying flying about as he's bombarding through them. Yeah, I just I'm just watching it now. It's just what I find with your videos and these sort of types of videos, you can just watch them over and over. It's- yeah, I think the above young ones just brilliant for like I said, the I'm not you know expert on this stuff and excuse me if I'm using some terrible terms, but the shading, the detail on the yeah on his shirt and how that you what you use a light and stuff I think is really impressive. Do you think it gets to a point though where you can't add too much detail because sometimes simple is the simplicity of it is a beauty. So if you if you might spend a hundred more hours on it or whatever, months on it, but you might be you might in the in the end overdo it a little bit going forward. Yeah, I definitely think that. I think if you have too much detail, it's going to look too much like the, the real thing. And then it's just people are watching a, a video, you know, they don't appreciate the, the value of it, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. I think with the Obama Young one, um, it's just a, a great mix of simplicity and detail as well. And just a, a great goal. It's just it's a shame we don't see many goals like that for Northampton. We just need a few more goals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's your plans for the future now? You're only 19, so you've got your you know, whole life ahead of you. Uh, so, yeah, currently doing a, um, an art and design course, uh, foundation course at Bolton Uni for a year, um, just to learn some more of the basics because I'm self-taught. I've not um, learned any theory or about any of the artists, I guess. So I'm doing a foundation course first and then hopefully move across to Nottingham to do a graphic design course for three years. And it would be good for your portfolio going forward as well. And it's just uh, it's just good string to your bow to have that in your locker. There's not many people that will go into a course and say, yeah, I've had 1.6 million people look at my, my works. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> cool. Are you looking for a, in the industry? Are you looking for a full-time job? Or will you have a stay free, freelance and do your own thing? Um, I think in the current climate, a full-time job would be perfect. You know, um, But I'm not. I think freelance is the way to go until I finish uni and then but we'll see from there, really. Sure, there's... I find it quite interesting that a lot of... Well, it's just... This sort of video animation is, is blown up massive year, year or two. So I think there are a lot of media outlets looking for people that can produce work of your quality. So I think people like the Premier League, uh, you know, BBC, outlets like that, are just all looking for different ways of, of showing football. You're well-placed now. I think you've, you've hit it at the right time. So, you know, fingers crossed in the next maybe 10 years time. Um, I think your dad's trying, your dad's trying to retire soon. So, <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, well, he, he keeps talking about a retirement plan, but I'm still I'm still living with him. I, I, I don't know where he, he's got that idea from. Um, he, he, he's still got yeah. another 20 years to go. <laughs> so, you're a Cobblers fan, uh, like we are. Um, God. Um, you're cast. Uh, <laughs> How, have you followed much as much this season? How do you think we're going to Cobblers are going to get on this season? 
Uh, well, looking, watching the first few games, my hopes aren't high. I'm resigned, well, not resigned, but hoping a comfortable mid-table. But looking at how we've been performing recently, hopefully just no relegation troubles. That's my hope. <laughs> yeah, I think if we can just consolidate, I even reckon lower mid-table will be fine for me, just outside the relegation zone. Yeah. You don't say in League One for long very often so if we, we can just stay in the league um, I just think the great thing about doing is it's great to see a Northampton fan getting so much kudos across the media and stuff and maybe you can just add that in so if someone else interviews you just say you're a Northampton <laughs> fan it's just nice to see a bit of talent paying off because you, it shows that you put a lot of hard work into it as well a lot of work a lot of hours like months and months of yeah, I appreciate and, that uh, can you just give us a rundown on your social media details for people that want to uh, find out more about your work uh, definitely. Uh, my Twitter is Hardman Design, and then my Instagram is Dan Hardman Design. Um, and then you can check my website with all my work, um, HardmanDesign.net. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us, and yeah, keep up the good work, mate. Thanks very much. Been a pleasure. Right then, let's move on to wider sporting context. We've got JK from Against League Three back with us here to talk about the Euro Premier League and the European Champions Leagues that have been mooted this week. How are you doing, Jay? You okay? I'm all right. How are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm good generally. It just seems like constantly in the news at the moment, there's just one story after another coming from well, the so-called elites of football, just to completely change the, the the game for everybody. So it's just a bit, you get a bit downtrodden with it. But I think that actually means that we actually have to stand up and, and say our bit about it and, you know, have a, have a conversation, which you're here to do today about it. Did you catch much about uh, the proposed Euro Premier League this week, week uh, which came out from the Sky News report? Did you hear much about that? Yeah, I, I I thought it was really interesting. You know, that there's there's been talk of a some form of of European Super League breakaway for the past couple of years now. Well, the interesting thing about this proposal was that for the English teams anyway, they would continue to participate in the Premier League yeah. alongside this new competition, and then the the future of the Champions League as it is now would would maybe be up for debate, which I think is kind of hilarious when you see them moan that they play too many games you know and we'll 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 reach the same point at christmas there will be managers who complain at the end of the year that players are playing too many games and the reality is is that the club executives are of the opinion that they're not playing enough profitable games or 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 lucrative enough for for their interest you know a a third round or fourth round i can't forget i can't remember what round it was a an FA Cup replay against Shrewsbury is probably not as profitable as playing, uh, say, Ajax in the new, you know, amazing European Premier League. Sure. Um, so I, 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 I look at it sort of, sort of smirking, not really convinced. I mean, the yeah. other interesting thing for me, and I made this point on Twitter, um, you, you know, they say that um, obviously all these plans are generally commercially based. You know, they're, they're not for the good of everyone. This is for the good of the clubs that would participate financially. And I, I wonder where, well, I mean, I, I don't wonder, but I would question where the um, where the extra money for this is going to come from. If you take, say, from, from Liverpool's perspective, are, do Liverpool think that they can convince their existing supporters to maybe pay more for games or 
maybe attract more casual fans, convince casual fans who wouldn't necessarily pay to watch every game to maybe watch one or two more? Um, or, you know, or do they think they can from from different clubs? And if the argument is, is that the money's going to come from broadcaster, the same, broadcasters, the same question really applies. You know, the, the money has to come from somewhere and the broadcasters can't magic the money out of thin air. It has to yeah. come from paying customers and subscribers. And I wonder who, who they are going to be. Um, you that's, know, always and, a good, that's always a, an interesting point, actually, because you remember when this huge £5 billion Premier League TV deal was announced and everyone was like, this is a huge amount of money. Straight away, sort of quite savvy commentators were saying, it's the consumers that are going to have to pay for this. Yeah. So it's going to come out of your pocket. So you, a, a big deal shouldn't really be something to be celebrated. Um, just to give listeners some context about the uh, supposed Euro Premier League that was reported by Sky Sports. Um, basically, they said that uh, Manchester United and Liverpool, Kelsey Prees, uh, were part of this these talks about plans for the uh, Europe's biggest clubs to join a new FIFA-approved tournament, which is important because FIFA and UEFA, as usual, are, seem to be in competition. Um, it stated that the tournament would comprise 18 teams uh, with home and away fixtures being played during the regular European season, as as you said. So they're not actually ever going to do a breakaway by the look of it. They're always going to be tethered to the rest of us at some point. So that's, a, that's an important point. And um, there's mention of uh, Wall Street Bank JP Morgan providing 4.6 billion in funding, which is, you know, the romance of football isn't dead. Um, Ed, Wood, Ed Woodward, uh, the Man United CEO, actually came out, I think it was yesterday, he, he did a quarterly investors call to the Man United uh, investors, and he said that he wasn't actually involved with this, and he was more involved with the dialogue for um, for the Europa, uh, European Champions League being expanded. But, um, yeah, so a, Euro- a European Premier League, like you said, you've got to... You've got to look at who's going to pay for it. And I think Luis Figo, the Portuguese you know, legend, really, he was quite scathing about this idea. He said it's all about greed and keeping the game for a few elite clubs, which, you know, it doesn't, you know, if this plan ever came off, I think that would be a fair comment. Um, Kieran Maguire, the Price, uh, Price of Football podcast guy who does a lot of good stuff with uh, football's economics, he, uh, on his latest podcast, said that, um, the plans actually dovetail quite nicely with Project Big Picture for a European Premier League. So it, in that light, it, it makes Project Big Picture look potentially worse because was Project Big Picture uh, drawn up in line with European Premier League or any other Euro Super League? You know, vis-a-vis a major restructuring of European competition. I, I think we, know, we need to know and we deserve to know that. Is Project Big Picture just a standalone idea to restructure English football, or is it part of a much wider plan involving these European plans? What do you think? I mean, when you look at the the history of clubs pushing for reform of European competition, Liverpool and Manchester United have clearly been heavily involved in discu- in various discussions over the past couple of years. You know, privately, publicly, um, I think. Juventus were a major driving force in pushing for, again, what I'd, I'd cynically say was was commercially interest-driven reform of of the Champions League. I, I think I, I hold a very sort of traditionalist view. I, I would I would be quite upset to see Liverpool and Manchester United and and the big six break away from English football. And I, I know that's not necessarily a, a view shared by everyone. I would find it quite disappointing purely for the, 
you know, for the history that they bring to to the English pyramid system. They're they're historic clubs, and while I have issue with the way that they're being run, um, I don't have issue with the entities themselves. You know, my 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 old man is a is a Liverpool fan. He, he grew up around the streets of Anfield and stood on the cop every week. And if he hadn't, I probably wouldn't have an interest in football. But it, it's it, it's you know there there is no there's no consideration or concern for the for the match going fan in all of these proposals you know yeah the 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 first topic of conversation when these clubs meet is how can we make the sports you know more lucrative financially sure um, you know that there's and obviously people like ourselves you know we we call for increased support and representation we call for changes that benefit everyone from clubs to players to spectators um you know and, and they aren't the types of conversations that are, that are that are being had and it's really hard to say you know what else is being dis- you know the, there's no sort of central group who have come out publicly and said right well this is what we what we need to do this is what we should do and these are our stakeholders here's the plan we'll we'll you know take consultation we'll get back to you in a couple of months yeah. There's nothing like that, and I think that's that's really disappointing, and that that clearly isn't going to change anytime soon. But it's currently really hard to know what we're fighting against at the minute. I, I think generally the proposals that have been published the past couple of weeks are pretty unpalatable. I think Project Big Picture was one of the worst I've heard for many years. Obviously, we we discussed last week the the, the Bernstein and, and Gary Neville plans, and and I'm generally supportive of them, but they don't affect the current issues. I think you made a good summary there in terms of the fans being locked out. And all the all the stakeholders that really make the game what it is, the fans, the, the volunteers at football clubs, the people that bring the game from the grassroots up are, are locked out of the decision-making process. And that's the worrying thing that has been for, you know, as long as I can remember. And we just seem to be in a position where the game's elites, I, I, I need to find a better word for that, but they're, they're, they're elites. They've managed to get themselves into the position of elites. They just seem to be throwing as many awful ideas, you know, forward as possible in this time of utter distress to unsettle fans so much that they accept the least worst option out of all of them when that least worst option would have been unthinkable pre-covid so that's that's a concern for me and what we're going to end up with so that moves us on a little bit to what edward would mentions in terms of an uh, sort of a enlarged champions league that he said he's actually been involved in talking about basically the, the, there's a couple of reports said that there's uh, plans to increase the Champions League to 36 teams by 2024. Uh, up to 10 group matches has been mentioned in a, in a Daily Mail article. Sorry if I mentioned the Daily Mail, but it's one of the free articles you can look at. The, they said that there might be 10 group matches in this new format. Um, it just seems that, and we talked about it earlier, that, okay, you want to increase the Champions League for whatever reason, a lot of people, have, a lot of commentators have said it's for commercial reasons and to enrich the rich clubs even more to get more lucrative games than you like. You said the uh, Shrewsbury Town replay or or whatever. So you want to do that? That's fair enough. But when we look at the English context, we always have to. We always have to remain grounded in our yeah, our football pyramid because there's far more teams involved in that. When you look at the football pyramid and they're talking about, they've already restricted the number of um, FA Cup replays. They're talking about scrapping the Charity Shield, which, God, what has that done wrong, that format? I have no idea, apart from raising quite a lot of money for charities um, and scrapping the League Cup. Now, when these things start to happen and then you look at the other more insidious 
plans of Project Big Picture, potentially B teams, quite frankly, why should why should the English game or any other game that's going to have to have similar changes? Why why should we have to put up with these changes, which fundamentally change our game forever, for the benefit of you know rich European clubs? What's your take on that? Um, well, I agree. They they, they shouldn't. Um, you know, one of the one of the big things that against League Three is supported. I, I don't know how you'd phrase it in football terms. In in, in public life, you have have a concept of of social mobility. The the ability yeah. to, you know, if, if if you're if you're impoverished or you are working class or you know you're on the lower end of the social scale, that theoretically you have or you should be given the tools to progress and, and, and better yourself. Yeah. You know, I'm fully supportive of that, of course, and but I, I feel the same should apply at football. Um, it's one of the reasons why I was so drawn to non-league, because, I mean, obviously the, there is still financial competition in non-league, but it's nowhere near as cutthroat. When you ask, what, you know, why should we put up with it? Well, we, we, we shouldn't. And again, this is one of the points that AL3 has tried to make for for quite a long time people don't have to just put up with this yeah um when you see supporter activism and, and we regularly point to german supporters would not put up with this they yeah. would not put up with the same level of um interference sure. into the competitive spirit of the game that 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 english fans do um, there's obviously some differences there. You know, I, I appreciate there's B teams in the pyramids. It's maybe not as big a issue there as, as it is for for us with with such a, a huge pyramid of clubs. Yeah. Um, but German fans, and they're not the only ones, but but they're they're the ones you know people regularly point to. If there is, if if an executive or or a body or a, a league or someone, if if they do something against the fans, they know about it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, and they they mobilise yep. incredibly efficiently. Um, so people. I look don't... to uh, um, I look to German fans as well. I, I do a bit of writing in. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we're we're all just literally locked out of the game, and we're just clutching at straws to an extent. You you'll see the FSA put out some fairly strongly worded statements, but not not a lot more than that. The German fans uh, have all linked up together. German fans groups are linked together. They've actually drawn up a, a plan of what football should look like post-COVID. You know, they're actually saying they should actually expand 50 plus one model to 75 plus one. So they want to strengthen it. We're not. We're nowhere near that. We've still got, you know, your Steve Dales um, in control of football clubs. So not only are they doing that, there's been a plan for, put forward for a, a proper redistribution of, of uh, funding through throughout the uh Bundesliga and Bundesliga too. So they're they're looking at it on a sort of a multi-directional approach and they're far more uh, dynamic in terms of their, their direct action than we are. And in fact I don't think there's much much direct action gone on apart from the uh you know B team boycott. So we're just we're we're so far behind for that. But I'm actually looking to the German fans to see how they react to these plans and how they're gonna gonna deal with it because you can you can bet your ass that Bayern Munich are would be one of the teams that would be would be involved in a, a you know any sort of European carve up so that's an important one to look look at. I just think that okay Euro Super League or increase the Champions League to whatever many teams which is you could argue is a Euro Super League by the back door. Um, 
probably some sort of you know, clove shop shop eventually. I just think that for me, I'm I'm not so optimistic about it anymore. I've written you know a couple of articles about it. I just think, do you know, people were saying for ages the game's gone, the game's gone. That was a bit of an you know against modern football cry. I think this is actually the point. The game has actually gone now because how can you contextualize or make sense of during a killer killer pandemic when people are dying and losing jobs you can even think about pushing such plans you know as a euro premier league to further enrich yourself it's pretty disgusting in my opinion and it doesn't mean a lot really in the grand scheme of things but for a wide-eyed football mad fan like myself and i can't speak for you but who was brought up you know, learning about the history of English football and the great Man United and Liverpool sides. Personally, I'll never look at those two clubs the same again. And it's only one person and there might be a couple of other people like me, but I just think it, you know, it's an important point to make. And not only Liverpool and Man United, it's the, the other clubs in the big six who are equally damned, in my opinion, because they just seem to be staying quiet on the matter. It seems to be Man United and Liverpool getting the stick, but there's other clubs that will be affected by this and they're not they're not saying too much about it. So, you know, for me, I think the game's gone. I think it will recover in some way or another. And I would look to non-league. I think a lot of people now will be saying, what is football all about? And for me, the the heart of football is now down in non-league. It's gone out of even even the football league. I think it's now down in, in non-league. And hopefully that will be the, you know, shoots of a revival. Um, but what do, you, what do you take on that? Are you a bit more optimistic or are you, you sort of like me that this is a massive turning I'm, point? I'm- I'm probably slightly more optimistic, but not by much. You, you know, we're, we're talking about what these clubs are doing in the in the back rooms. You're quite right to say that the the fact that they're using the pandemic as leverage it is absolutely shocking. Um, the fact that they're using the pandemic for their own personal gain, you know, and there's there's no finer point you can put on it that that is what they're doing. Um, it is absolutely scandalous and. You know, again, it, we go back. If if this was Germany, that would not fly. You know, it it just absolutely wouldn't. Um, and I think that while we've seen, would you say, outrage on 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 social media, nothing's actually being done. You know, and we're we're two weeks down the line from Project Big Picture, and the status quo is is currently pretty much the same. So I, yeah. I, I find that I find that really disappointing. But I, I, I think something will come through at some point, and I, I say, I, as I said last week, and as I'll say again, I question how palatable it's going to be, you know, because we have no idea how these discussions have gone, um, and yeah. it's hard for us to see um, how financially, um, in what sort of financial trouble the clubs are in, and the clubs, particularly in the football league, are in financial trouble again. As I said last week, you know, yeah. there has been no bailout yet. That issue that we discussed last week of Project Big Picture was, you know, meant to fund the clubs and, you know, they'd get by on wages for the next couple of months and no fans. That issue has not been rectified. And sure. I'm certain that for the past seven days since we last spoke or, uh, you know, whenever whenever we, whenever we it was, um, every EFL club owner's phone will have been white hot off the foot, off the, off the, off the hook. Um, yeah you know there'll have to be some sort of plan and they'll have been discussing it this week and no one's got any idea what it will be um so how mr come i maybe more so than you but not very no no we can't accept whole scale changes to to english football dressed up as a necessity 
uh, for income for uh, basically poorer clubs. That's re- in reality uh, for the benefit of not just you know top Premier League clubs, but the, like a big Euro Super League or anything of that entity. We've got we've got to uh, be able to see the wood from the trees from that. And and, and, and I'm quite grateful actually that some of the leaks have come through because it's enabled people to actually look maybe a bit closer than they've they've done before. If it had been done in a bit more of a you know together way, people might not have. I've torn it apart so much but now now people are starting to look through the looking glass a bit and start starting to just look at how the interconnectivity of all of it works and as you know English football fans you know no matter if you support Man United or whoever FC United of Manchester who actually were right let's uh, face it going back all those years um, no matter what club you support we have to not let people take the piss to an extent and that's what what seems to be going on I think that it's quite an English trait not to let people take the piss and I think that is what is actually happening when you look at the full extent of it but we'll, we'll keep an eye on it anyway and we'll probably talk quite regularly as it as it expands but yeah you know thanks for joining me and we'll talk again soon no you're very welcome Tom cheers for having me on thank you cheers mate speak to you later Okay, now we'll move on to Saturday's game at home to Charlton Athletic. I'm joined by not one, but two EFL journalists to preview the Cobblers v the Addicts. First up, it's Friends of the Pod and EFL analyst Gabriel Sutton, aka Football Lab. How are you doing, Gabriel? You okay? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, Tom. How's your day been so far? Yeah, not too bad. Looking forward to the game on Saturday with a fair amount of trepidation. I know Charlton are a solid side, but I guess that's... Leads us on to our, our second guest uh, journalist, who is Charlton Athletic writer Ben Newark. How are you doing, Ben? You okay? I'm doing well. You know, can't complain too much. It's Friday afternoon, and we're we're closing them on the weekend, so can't can't complain. That's good. It's always good to look forward to a game at the weekend. Northampton v Charlton. You know, not necessarily one for the purists, but it should be a highly contested contest. Let's go to you, Gabriel, and just have a quick chat about how League One is shaping up so far. Northampton fans are you know, fairly OK with the fact that we're in a, a relegation battle, really. And if we can escape relegation, that would be a fairly good season. How do you see Charlton at the moment? And do you see them as a club that's capable of moving into that, that congested top six? I think they've got the potential to, yeah. I think that um, you look at the... Um, I think it's been quite a late change. I think if you'd asked me about them before the season, I would have said I was really worried because um, they didn't have trustworthy owners in beforehand. But since uh, Thomas Sangard has... Uh, completed that takeover he sanctioned deals for a lot of very good players at this level that I would regard it as that anyway and uh, you look at Chris Gunter who's an experienced right back Ryan Innes who's an aerial specialist Akin Fameru who's a ball playing defender um, Andrew Shinney played championship level before with Birmingham and Luton Ben Watson I actually think was contender for player of the year at um, Nottingham Forest last season so to get him I think is a real coup uh, Omar Bogle will give him goals as well so lots of signings uh, Ian Martinson as well on loan from Chelsea he's a real talent so um, Paul Smythe like as well so lots of signings that are giving Charlton so much more depth than they had um, in terms of the squad that started the season and in a manager in Lee Bowyer who's uh, got them into the playoffs before and won promotion the year after that. Um, things are finally shaping up for the Addicts, so I can certainly see them putting a run together. So, Benji, let's go to you and talk about the last three games for Charlton, who have beaten Blackpool 1-0, Wigan 1-0 and drawn uh, a goalless draw with Sunderland. 
not yeah. exactly blowing teams away, but building up a head of steam, would you say, now? Yeah, absolutely. I think what we're seeing with Charlton so far is the effects of having to play catch-up to all the other League One teams, where pretty much every club in League One could complete the bulk of their summer business in July, in early August, and get a squad ready for the season before the season actually started. But Charlton, due to their ownership situation and due to being under a transfer embargo for the bulk of the summer, they weren't able to bolster their squad until really September and, and even really the la- just the last few days of the transfer, in the last week or so. So 12 players left the squad over the spring and summer period, and by the time the season started, only two, three players had been brought in. So now what you're seeing is that players are having to gel, they're having to get up to speed. I think it's it's made a lot of sense that the attack hasn't really flourished yet, hasn't been 100% fluid, hasn't quite to link up quickly yet, because these players really haven't been playing with each other for very long. And defensively, they've created a very strong foundation at the back. Uh, Akin Famiwo, Ryan Innes in particular, those two have looked really, really good at the back end. Their their physicality and their aerial ability is really important in League One, where a lot of teams do rely on, on physical presence and they do rely on long balls, but that's just not really a Charlton's defense because Famiwo and Innes are so dominant in the air. So Charlton have created a really strong defensive foundation, which I think is just even more important during this period where their attack isn't as fluid as it could be because they're having to rely a little bit on their defense to get to, to win them games against Blackpool in midweek. I felt that that defensively, it was the best game Charlton have played all season. Blackpool really didn't look dangerous at all. Pretty much the entire match Charlton, I felt looked comfortable pretty much throughout. And we're starting to see signs that the things are clicking a little bit more going forward. And as, as they get more players back and as the players get up to speed and as they get more time to train with each other, Really, a lot of reason to expect that that attack will will flourish more and more as the season goes on. Let's move on to the manager Lee Bowyer, obviously mm-hmm. a Charlton alumni that had his schooling at, at Charlton. How would you rate his performance at the club since being appointed as manager? Promotion yeah. and a relegation, is that right? So it's been up and down. Yeah, and he he joined in 2018. Um, got the club to the playoffs his first season and then won promotion through the playoffs the following season. Then obviously last season, Charlton were relegated from the championship. But the thing that one has to say with any discussion of Lee Bowyer, and it's probably the most important factor when talking about Lee Bowyer, is that the conditions he's worked under for the last two and a half years have been almost impossible. Really unfair conditions for a manager to work under. And it's it's pretty miraculous that he's even still at the club. I mean, he's he's now... With Thomas Sangard in charge, this is now Lee Bowyer's fourth owner in in just two and a bit years, which in itself is pretty absurd that he's now had to work under four owners. And the previous three owners really did nothing to support him in the sense that prior to uh, prior to this summer, well, and even including the summer, the the club spent a grand total of £300,000 over their last about 30 signings. Most of them, almost entirely, they were free transfers or free transfers or loans. So while they did get relegated, and while that obviously is a mark against Bowyer, I think the, the surrounding conditions really make it a much 
bigger discussion than just did Lee Bowyer do well or did badly because he was he was he was he was managing under unbelievably difficult circumstances and now finally he's got an owner who looks like he's willing to support him looks like he wants to back him I think the signings that they did make despite starting so far behind I think they made very good signings and now this season will be a, a real test of Bowyer because he's finally getting the foundations in place to to excel so let's move on to Charlton players to watch for fans of a Northampton persuasion. We know about a couple of Charlton players just through experience. People like Omar Bogle have been you know around the block in terms of the lower leagues. Uh, Marcus Madison, an ex Peterborough United player, is on the books of Charlton now, isn't he, Benji? Is he likely to play against Northampton? Yeah, so so Marcus Madison, he arrived just a couple of weeks ago, and he unfortunately was suffering with an ankle injury over the past week. He just did train yesterday for the first time since picking up that ankle injury, and Bowyer says there's a good chance he'll he'll travel and be part of the squad for the trip to Northampton, which would obviously be a big boost to Charlton because, as you can see from their goal record, as you can see from the chances they've created and all the statistics around that, they haven't been particularly good at creating clear-cut chances for their for their attackers and Marcus Madison is obviously one of the most creative players in in League 1 over the past few years. I mean, you just have to look at what he did at Peterborough, his assist record, the types of assists he was getting, the types of balls he was putting into the box. So having him will be really a huge boost if he is in fact fit enough to play or make the bench. Sure, he he just won't be popular for his Peterborough connections um is there another player who would you say apart from madison and an attacking level for mm. uh, uh charlton benji would be one to look out for for northampton and, and for keith carl's defense to really keep an eye on i would say a big one to watch is chucks and ek chucks and ek is someone who's had a really difficult time at charlton since arriving last summer he's been injured almost constantly hasn't didn't play much last season especially towards the last few months and has struggled a little bit this season as well with injuries. He also had coronavirus, which, again, derailed him just as things were starting to go well. But he looks, now now that he's, he's gotten an opportunity to play in the last couple of weeks, he looks a real handful for pretty much every defense he's come up against. He's big, he's strong, but not only is he, is he physical and can use his physicality, but he's really excellent on the ball, and his touch for such a big man is really, really phenomenal. And it just, it just means he can do so much, because not only can he bring the ball down and and bring other players into the game but he can take the ball down himself and he can dribble he can he can bypass a few defenders he can shoot and he he scored the winner against Blackpool in the 83rd minute with a header and it was really a deserved reward for for his performances over the past few weeks where he's really looked I think like Charlton's most dangerous player and the the thing that's unique about Chucks and Ike is that he can kind of play in a number of different forward positions almost at once due to his due to his unique range of skills where he can play on the last man and take down long balls and help bring the team forward that way but he also is happy to drop in and play almost as a number 10 Chucks and Ike is someone who's really been coming into his own over the last few weeks and he's he's someone that I think if he plays will 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 cause Northampton some trouble Sure and an Ike came uh, he played for Milton Keynes, so mm-hmm. we've got a little double header of, of teams we don't like and players that might do a little bit of damage. Uh, and EK uh, came through, he was schooled at Arsenal actually yeah, to begin with, so he's got a bit of pedigree about him. Um, Gabriel, who would you say, if you can give us a player to look out for, maybe maybe not from the, the attacking lines, maybe in the, in the midfield or defence maybe? Um, well, I, I mentioned Ben Watson earlier and um, he's someone who... Um, 
played very well, very consistent for Nottingham Forest last season, get the base of a, a three-man midfield. Um, and that was a Forest side that just missed out on the playoffs in the championship. And, you know, he's had a very long career at that level, hasn't he, really? And uh, I kind of feel like he's someone who can really influence games. I think he's um, probably improved his passing range slightly under Sabri Lamucci last season, but he's always got that defensive discipline that's going to allow uh, maybe an Andrew Shinney or a Michael Doughty and players like that, that extra bit of uh, attacking freedom. Interesting to see that he um, actually started alongside Dan Aaron Prattley uh, in Charlton's midfield. Prattley is very much a, a standard ball winner. And, you know, maybe that um, Lebo, you might want to sort of freshen things up in the next game. He's got the likes of uh, Anike, who you mentioned. There's uh, Jake Forster-Kasky, who I really like at this level. Uh, Dylan Levitt on loan from Manchester United, who... Um, it's an interesting player. I think he's a midfielder, so he's someone who could shake things up. So Charlton certainly have options, as as I've mentioned before. But uh, yeah, Watson has got pedigree for this level. Um, I think he could have a really good game. So yeah, quite a few people to keep an eye on, and uh, it's going to be obvious that Keith Carl's team are going to have to um, really hit the ground running uh, against Charlton, and I think he's aware of that. He's quite good at setting up teams which are going to disrupt the opposition so maybe Charm won't necessarily have uh, the boys uh, you know exactly how they want it but Benji how would you describe Lee Bowyer's tactics has he got a, like a go-to tactical formation or how would you describe the, that the, it's, it's an interesting one because I think it's another relatively unique element of Lee Bowyer's ma- management where he really doesn't have a go-to formation he has in the past but he really wants to play a variety of formations Occasionally, not even occasionally, relatively frequently, he'll switch up formations in a game. He likes playing three at the back with two uh, wingbacks, but he also likes playing four at the back with three in midfield, uh, two wingers and a striker. He also likes playing four at the back with a four-diamond midfield in, in, in the middle. So you never really know what you're going to get with Lee Bowyer until the team's actually sent out each week. Lee Bowyer really likes players who can play in a variety of positions. He really likes players who can adapt and and do a lot of different things. And someone who personifies that a lot, I think, is Alfie Doughty, who's a really good young player who's come up through the Charlton Academy, won Charlton's Young Player of the Season Award last year, um, was was subject to quite a few bids from Celtic this summer, but Charlton managed to hold on. And he's a really good traditionally left winger but he can play on the right wing he's played a lot at left wing back he even just uh, last week against Wigan played at left back in a back four so he's someone who can do kind of everything he's even played up front he can do kind of everything and it's it's it personifies a little bit the kind of players that Bowyer likes I don't think you'll I don't I think it's kind of anyone's guess as to what formation Bowyer will line up with on on Saturday that tactical flexibility is a, a slight concern for me because Keith Carr has been fairly wedded to a, a, a wing-back system and a fairly direct style, and that's had a bit of a, a bit of a backlash recently with uh, a few people looking at our passing stats and saying, you know, we really are an ultra-direct side and we need to mix it up a little bit more. We did mix it up against Swindon. Uh, we beat Swindon, which is actually a string to our bow in terms of a good a good win. We needed that to open up a little gap from the relegation zone, but the problem was we played really well for one half. Mm. Uh, opened up a two two goal lead and then the second half uh you know i'll feed gabriel in a minute but we've got a guy called um harry smith who is a very tall center forward and when we play him there's a tendency just to go through him the whole time so we've got another guy called benny ashley seal who we signed from wolves who's slightly different a bit more mobile quite strong sort of a free running forward and he went off at half time replaced by harry smith and we 
tend to go long. So our percentage of possession went down quite drastically in the second half compared to the first, and we were up against it, and we just scraped that scraped that win. So I'll feed Gabriel in now. Like considering uh, Benji's talked about the tactical flexibility of Lee Bowyer and perhaps the fact that their defence is actually quite strong and can mop up any long balls. Uh, how do you see the tactical um, battle between Charlton and Collins on Saturday? I guess it's what team Keith Carl puts out, isn't it? If, if it is a Smith or is it a be- uh, Ashley Seal or whoever starts in midfield, like a Sowerby or Mizilu or whatever. What do you think, Gabriel? Yeah, I think um, there is that, as soon as uh, Benji said that Innis and Fumay would have been brilliant in the air. I mean, I've known Innis to be an aerial specialist. I've seen him you know, play for Port Vale much earlier in his career, and you knew that he's the type of centre-back that can gobble things up in the air. Less convinced that Fumaywu would do what he's done and make that impact because I've always thought of him as kind of a, a ball-playing defender. So it's interesting to hear Benji say that he's really bulked up and, you know, learnt the uh, the aerial side of the game. So I think that's certainly a big feather in Charlton's cap going to Northampton because you know that the aerial bombardment is going to be a key facet of, of what Northampton can offer. Uh, I mean, there's Danny Rose there who isn't actually that tall, but he's got fantastic spring on him. Uh, and then there's Ashley Seal who, you've mentioned um and then harry smith he's basically i think he's six foot five and he'd be very much the uh the aerial option but i think because northampton play that direct style the whole game i think will hinge on whether northampton can win an aerial duel can win their aerial duels up top because i think if if danny rose or if harry smith if he starts up top can hold the book can win an aerial duel and hold the ball up for other players then it's possible that you might see uh, a Nicky Adams or a Sam Hoskins um, getting on the end of it. Ricky Corboa even. Uh, he's actually, I've been surprised actually how uh, Corboa started because it was a big step up for him from Car Charlton, wasn't it? But he's actually started in pretty good form. Um, but yeah, I think it's really going to be important that uh, you win some aerial duels in those attacking areas to then bring uh, the midfielders and wing backs and uh, wide forwards into play. So I think that's what's going to decide this game, really. Sure, it's important to note that Keith Cole has been mixing it up a little bit more in recent games, uh, probably due to that backlash. The fans were growing a bit bit concerned at the losses and the, the lack of possession and um, controlling the game. So we did mix it up a little bit, but I'm just not sure Keith Cole's heart's in, in that sort of play. I don't think... I think his heart really is in the direct game and the, what I call curveball, what's been called curveball from last season, which was deadly effective in the playoffs and got us got us up to that effect. So, yeah, it depends if, if he actually... Uh, as his heart is in trying to mix it up, play play a little bit more, try and keep a bit more possession, or he has the courage to batter Charlton a little bit, because considering at home, so that would be an interesting thing to look for. I, I'm still concerned about our, heart, our uh, you know our problems on the break, we caught on the break a lot. Pitt especially found a tactical weakness in that basically all they did was they hit us on the break, switched the play really quickly and caught the wing-backs out of possession. And that's been a problem for us for a long time, especially with Kyle's wing-back, wing-back system. And then the centre midfield for me, still slightly lacking a bit of dynamism. And I said that to Gabriel at the start of the season. I was worried about that dynamism through the middle and he keep, Keith Kyle keeps changing the centre midfield. So, you know, Jack Sowerby is a good good little player from Fleetwood. So I quite like him, but... Mizzoulou was in the team, then he was out the team, then he was back in the team in centre midfield. Uh, what's Ryan Watson, who was a bit of a mainstay last season, he's been in and out. So does that give you the actual strength you need in the midfield to go up against Charlton and win? That's, that would be my concern. Um, let's move on to some predictions. I'll go to you, 
Benji first. How do you see the game going in terms of a scoreline on Saturday? Yeah, I would I would expect it to be a relatively low scoring game. I think especially kind of how, as you've talked about Northampton's style, I think if they do play direct and if they do play with a lot of long balls, I think that'll that'll play right into Charlton's hands. That'll be what Charlton want them to do. But at the same time, I think even if Charlton play at their best, goals are still going to be relatively hard to come by. So I'm going to go 2-1 Charlton. OK, that sounds reasonable to me. Uh, Gabriel, what about you? Uh, I think I'll go 3-0 Charlton. I just think that uh, Northampton's squad is a lot weaker than the one that won promotion at against Exeter at Wembley. And... Um, I, I I think that Charlton have pretty much got a championship squad, I'd argue, something close to that. Um, so I think that there's going to be a pretty big gulf between uh, these two teams. And I do think that that'll show on the pitch, I'm afraid. That's but that's that's not a, an unreasonable thing to say in terms of the squad strength. It's not as if you're like you're, you're insulting the fans. I think that's a, a fairly reasonable appraisal to the squad strength and maybe even the um, you know the investment that's gone in. So I don't want to argue with that massively. I would say, though, that we can sometimes break the play up. Keith Cole often likes to um, set his team up to unsettle the opposition. So maybe a 3-0 win might be pushing it too much. I think we'll, we'll have a bit more of the game than that. But I'll go 2-0 I'll go Charlton through gritted teeth, I think. I think that it's either 2-0. I think there'll be a two-goal uh, two difference. So 2-0 or 3-1, but I'll go for 2-0 in the end um thanks guys for joining in and we can chew the fat after the game but you know uh, thanks for joining us and we'll speak again soon fantastic thanks for having me enjoy uh, no problems that's my thanks pleasure a lot, guys yep. have a good one cheers guys let's move on to something a little bit more inane and silly because uh you know we're getting a little bit serious at the start of the program I've read out a guy called Abraham Amstrava. That's not his name. That's obviously his pen name. Who wrote for uh, Wallach fanzine back in the day for quite a long time. And it's just if you look at his his writing, it's just it's just brilliant, really. It's very um, yeah, it's very imaginative, just wry. And you know, our fanzine had the the benefit of him writing for a long time. And we publish them every week on on Twitter. His little things, and he did a really nice little one about Graham Carr's bold paint and the glare from it which I just thought it just really tickled me so Graham Carr is up there with the Baldies the uh, follically challenged managers and players of our of our time and it's funny enough actually I was looking at his team and I think that he wanted to be the number one bold guy on the scene because he signed people with the best hairdos ever in 1987 <laughs> they had the mullet on, on the go they had all sorts on the go so he wanted to be the number one bold in town but that, that made me made me think you know who out of all the Cobblers players and managers and stuff, who is the, the king of the Baldies? I put this out to Twitter. James Avril, former Herald and Post guy, now works for uh, local news. He uh, has gone for Luke Guttridge, who hit that brilliant goal for Cobblers, <laughs> the Sheltonham, I think it was. And yeah, he was uh, he was a sort of a receding guy, a bit thin on top. He was a good one. Cheers, James, for that one. Steve Miller, this is a strong one for me. David Rennie. From nineteen yes. the late 90s under Ian Atkins, Scottish guy. He for me is the a, best. Yeah, one of the best from the Six Fields Boys song. He was like bona fide. He's not. He wasn't putting it on. He hadn't shaved it off for the sake of it. He was just like old and proud, real, uh, real solid guy in the midfield. Stampy NTFC has gone for this is a good one. Um, Alan Mad 
Dog McCormack, the Irish centre yes. midfielder from last season. A uh, yeah, yeah, he goes in. He goes in the, the bona fide uh, baldy section for me because he was at centre midfielder. You don't want to mess with him. Quite softly spoken, Dubliner, I think, in real life. But yeah, looked sort of hard as nails. Could could pass as a bouncer, do you reckon? Could, he's got that look about him. So yeah, he's a good one. Aiden Boyer has gone for the main man, and I don't think anyone can argue with that. Adebayo Akinfemwa, who, yeah, for his whole time, shaved his head or whatever. Yeah. Steve Cobbler Toad has gone for one of the kings with the bowlies, John Frayne. John Frayne in the 93rd. Must have been. Griswold, Roger Dainty just made me laugh at this one. Um, Joe Kiernan, who was one of these club stalwarts who, I think he was involved with the coaching staff with Theo Foley and was a brilliant player in the 60s. Uh, yeah. I think Ian's a fan of him. And uh, Griswold said... Joe Keenan, I swear I saw him play the first half of a game in the early 70s wearing a wig. <laughs> that, that's one of those things in a post-truth world that if it's not true, it sort of should be. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or do you say he's not actually proud of being bald, so can he be a true king of the baldies? It's a difficult one. But like when you go out for a header, would it just not flap off this, this wig? It's a, it's a bit of a difficult one. You have to tape it down really heavily, wouldn't you? <laughs> Remember the Bobby Charlton heyday? Jefferson Lake pitched in. Um, he was asking if there's ever been a bald cobbler's goalie, but he got stuck on the, co- the goalie. So we put that out on Twitter. <laughs> and we've had a few, but they're slightly tenuous. Ian Townsend went for Chris Burns, who yeah, was definitely receding, shaved all his hair off, <laughs> and went in goal. I think it was against Cardiff back in the 90s because uh, Woodman was sent off. So he sort of counts. Out. Keith B actually said for a goalie, uh, psycho Barry Richardson, Mr. 40s guy, frequently had trouble keeping his hair on I was gonna say I was just hoping for just one beautiful moment that you know before on his stag do maybe he had all his hair shaved off yeah. down 40s where he also proposed <laughs> don't know where I was going with that sorry carry on keep it in house you know don't, don't, if, it if it ain't broken just you know don't fix it you get engaged in 40s you have your stag do in 40s as well there is. By the time we've done a year of these, we'll have a whole. There's almost a short story of the most cobbler's night out ever. Harry <laughs> Richardson in it. I can see Mark Cooper in it, and everything <laughs> between. Chicago's flaming yeah, platter oh, or sizzling platter. Chicago's. There's It'll something like in Vincey that. See, in his boat, everything went back to his boat. <laughs> yeah, F and E lad. With the shorts and the bomber jacket. It's just, uh, oh. we'll write a little book about this. Cobbler's Nights Out. A.D. Richards has gone for Neil Grayson, who definitely was fitted yes. by the end of his time here. And just a complete ledge uh, at the football club. And uh, yeah, didn't, he just put his body about, didn't he? And he was just like, oh, it's not really like, he was only quite small, wasn't he? But just, yeah, every, the sort of player every club needs just worked his backside off. Yeah. Uh, led to all his hair for him now, but yeah, <laughs> so that, that's a good one. And huh? what we're going to do is we'll 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 uh cut it down to four players and we'll put it down down to a, a vote. I reckon the the top four should be Bayo, I'd go for uh Graham Carr, Frame, and probably need one more. Who do you reckon should make the fourth? Should we go? We could go Neil Grayson, but we'll do that. We'll put that on on Twitter. We'll do a little vote for that. But uh, yeah, thanks for everyone's best Cobras Boldy Eleven, and we'll uh, yeah talk about that when we can think of some more players. Um, 
<laughs> Let's move on now to the Cobblers A to Z, which is another interactive little thing we've been doing. And we're slowly getting through it. We're on to F this week. And have you got an F for the Cobblers A to Z? Certainly have. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's uh, Frank Grand. Historian. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, just uh, again, remember the name from the, the programs back in the, the mid to late 80s. And yeah, being a lover of stats and trivia and all the rest of it, uh, I've just got massive time for anyone who shares the love of numbers and old lineups and whatnot. Sadly, no longer with us. Remember, he had um, sort of on this day pages in, in all the old programs, you know, sort of be playing on the 10th of October and he'd tell you what happened on that day in 1953 or whatever and it was just always sort of looking back on it now always in awe of doing that in the days before computers came in uh, that's, that's a good one and I think you still use his books now don't you Andy quite a lot uh, yeah I do yeah I mean he did the centenary book it's got a lovely picture of the aforementioned Mr Frayne's free kick on the front of it and yeah it's got all the um, sort of season stats Right from, I think it actually starts post-war. Ian, we're on to F. This is going to be a long trawl through to Z, but let's uh, let's go. Let's just go with F for now. Would you believe it? After what Andy said, I've actually got in my hand a Frank Rand book to help me with this one. Nice. Do you know anyone want to guess which player um, Frank was writing about in this book? It's called quite simply a flash of genius, Tommy Flash Fowler. Oh uh, yeah. yes, good shout. Cobbler's all-time appearance holder, probably never going to be beaten unless uh, Sam Hoskins keeps going for a few, <laughs> for a few years. 552 games for the Cobblers. I was reading through this book that Frank wrote. He's got a record, of course, of every game. Not only every game he played for the Cobblers, every game he played for Everton. He played in that famous um, Arsenal game when we beat him in the Cup. And then I was right. reading, I didn't realise this, we got beat in the next round by Liverpool who were um, second division team at the time. Not European Super League or anything like that back then. Uh, but the Cobblers, um, apparently they held their own first half and uh, it was in the snow. And uh, yeah, they, they apparently got, got clapped off the pitch by the, um, by the Anfield crowd that day. It was basically, he bridged the years, Fowler, between sort of the, 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 the war years and the, um, you know, and the early days of Dave Bowen. He actually played in the same team when Dave Bowen was still... Uh, Playing manager, he was Fowler was on the left wing. I think Bowen was on the other side. So uh, you know, and he was he, he actually signed for the Cobblers. He was he was um, on Everton's books pre-war, and then served in the war. Got shot in the helmet. Well, two bullets went through his helmet during <laughs> 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 du- 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 action in World War Two. Ended up in um, in a hospital, and as and then he was he was at Bedford where um, the uh, injured servicemen were recuperating. There was um, the cobblers, uh, one of the cobblers' coaches at the time, was um, sort of charged with, you know, getting the getting the lads fit again who'd been injured in the war. There was a, and he said, any footballers? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm a footballer and something. And like jokingly, they he said to him, oh, who do you play for? And he said, uh, Everton. <laughs> I don't think he realised he was actually a professional footballer. But um, yeah, he ended up. Um, that was how we. That was the link that. that uh, he actually played for the cobblers. Um, through that, he, you know, he ended up playing played for the cobblers in when they were trying to get fans back in the ground he actually played for the cobblers in the um war cup in a war cup qualifier his first game for the cobblers was against west brom we lost six nil in, in a war cup qualifier 
at the Hawthorne. So, you know, the state of the world, who knows, we might pick up a, another future Everton youth team post, you know, COVID <laughs> war when, when the Am- Amazon troops are fighting the Google troops in a few years' time. Um, <laughs> cobblers might be lucky enough to go, I don't know, Jamie Callagher Jr. or somebody and, and, and go from there. But yeah, what a what a career um, he had! Didn't he also play something like two hundred and sixty matches in a row? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Brand actually makes a point saying, "Yeah, um, he was dropped after this one." I tell you another really interesting thing in this book. It, it, says, it says that during um, during the time well, during his early sort of I think it was in the fifties, Cobblers bought some land in um, Spinney Hill, right? And they were going to use it as a training, as a training ground for the Cobblers Colts, which is like the um, reserve team, with a view to um, like building it up slowly and, and creating a new ground, like and to then move out of the county ground and move in there. And then um, the Spinney Hill residents complained, so it never happened. So what could have been, eh? <laughs> we could have we could have had our home stadium in Spinney Hill. Crazy! I never knew that. That's brilliant. That's that's just a real a real slice of history. I wasn't I was aware of Flash Fowler, but I wasn't aware of his history during the war. And uh, interestingly, he ended up playing for Aldershot because that's a, a barracks town. I'm a barracks town, but that's a brilliant yeah. story. And to know that Cobblers had a training ground on the go in Spinney Hill, we are really interesting to know the exact sort of place it is. Well, is it where the pub is? <laughs> is it around there somewhere? It was around there, and then it said that to, to kind of appease them, the cobbler, uh, the council gave them Thornton Park in Kingsort. Um, I think maybe, you know, just as a training base, and then obviously they, they didn't decide to try and expand that. But, yeah, crazy, isn't it? My one is uh, the Fields of Green song, the chant that's our sort of our anthem. Just, just, I, I think it's one of the all-time best ones. When you go through all the different chants, I think it's, it's very particular to Northampton. It's not really borrowing from another song. It's obviously to the what makes me laugh is to, is to the tune of the Red Flag, uh, the communist anthem. So the uh, sort of more right wing fans we are have got are just singing along to a communist anthem, which just makes me uh, chuckle. I, I think the origins of this, someone told I, me. I, 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 I believe as they might be giants sung in one of their classics, the communists have the music while the fascists have the uniforms. <laughs> that makes. <laughs> That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, someone was telling me that the Fields of Green song was actually a N18 Northampton Afraid team song back in the day, and it got sort of like changed a little bit, and it comes to the tune we are now. So I'd be interested to see if that's true and where that song actually came from. I don't know. You guys were there back in the terrace back in the day. Was that sung at the hotel end? That that song? Um, I. I'd... I can't I just, remember when it started, but I don't ever remember it not being there, certainly since the late 80s. It all, I'm pretty sure I remember that. So you remember it at the county ground, yeah? Yeah, I yeah. I, I, I'm definitely, pretty definitely. sure I do, but then that could be... Um, what's the word? Yeah. Your mind. Yeah, what, <laughs> Your what, mind's going. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. You, you conflate memories. Yeah. I don't but, think the new thing at Sixfields. That's that's the thing that makes me think I heard it on the hotel end. Uh, Martin, I think you're getting that mixed up with your shit ah. <laughs> <laughs> They're very similar. I could never remember the opening line to that. <laughs> <laughs> Easy mistake to make. 
I'll tell you what, so, though, yeah. a, good, a, good indicator, a good indicator of when that chart started, if you think um, it says it refers to the market square being cobblestone, well, obviously, it's not been cobblestoned for a long time. I don't, I don't know when it was, you know, uncobblestoned, but it must have actually, you know, people must have actually started singing it at a time when the market square was cobblestone. So perhaps, perhaps we could ask another F, Northampton's own Fitzy, and he might be able to tell us the uh, the history of um, the cobblestones on the market square, and he might be able to validate when that song actually um, originated. This is like audio archaeology, isn't it? it but is. I wonder, <laughs> would it only would, in a sense, would the cobblestones only have come into kind of people noticing them when they were replacing it with the kind of, well, frankly, rather safer <laughs> sort of surface they have now? Is it, could it almost be post cobblestones and that, you know, someone somewhere thought, I'll write this song? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because there's another, there's another inaccurate statement in that song about when it says a, a finer <laughs> town. I mean, I have been to other towns in, in, in the UK and abroad, and there are finer towns in Northampton. I'm sorry to break up to you guys. <laughs> How can you say that? <laughs> We're gonna to have to get Tony Robinson. Is that the guy that does time, time team? Yeah, yeah. Dig up the market square. Let's just do that for the sake of it. Work out the. I'm just, uh, I'm just being taken taken back to an English lesson at school where you, you, your teacher's telling you about the rhyme overtaking the story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. So we'll we'll get time team onto it and we'll work out what's going on with yeah, exactly. Lee Wade. This is a really good one actually. Fanny Walden. We need to look into these historical names. Fanny Walden played for Cobblers and cricket for North Ants. Now, that's pretty special, isn't it? Yeah, played obviously first class cricket, so that's pretty decent. We'll look into that one as well. Quick Whittington. <laughs> We've got some good names on there. Theo Foley, who has been mentioned quite a few times, complete legend. Ah, uh, sorry, Northampton. Sadly passed quite recently. Gavin Foster and Rob Satwell have both gone for Fred Murray, which is Martin's choice, the uh, Irish fullback. The DPA Design, good artist on Twitter, does a lot of stuff about cobblers. Gone for Frank Large. Now he's a big name in the cobblers history, isn't he? Yeah, he was obviously, you know, very, very highly regarded striker, wasn't he? With tough, a tough guy. Um, he didn't mess around. I remember reading a story for um, about him. I think it was when he was playing for Nuneaton. I read it somewhere when he passed away that um, someone upset him during a match and he just went over to him and looked, lamped someone. Didn't even, you know, ref just sent him straight off, didn't argue it, and just walked <laughs> off the pitch. But, I mean, we, we, we researched that, and when we get to L, we can we can go through that one again, can't we? I just so evocative that. And then in the players' bar afterwards, a shed of glass of light ale, you know. Um, Gavin Foster has gone for Francis Laurent, a name to conjure with. He's a French guy that didn't do much. One of Martin's not very good players, so we get that. Um... Deborah Marshall has gone for quite a few. John Frayne in the 93rd, which is, doesn't need any explanation. Just one of the best moments of a Cobblers uh, fan. Uh, Sonny Feehan. These are a few more obscure players, probably going back pre-80s, probably early 80s. A guy called Ray Fairfax, uh, John Farrenden, and an old school friend, Neil Freeman. Uh, she, she said, I'll leave Frank Large until the L's. So that, that gives us a little bit of leeway for the L's. Mark Josiah has gone for Fratton Park, the last game of our title winning season under Wilder which was just a great day out great uh, away day really nice warm day as I remember and we just like so many games undefeated it was just fantastic but there's some good ones for the F so I'm looking forward to G, G next week 
um, need to start put my thinking cap on for that one. But thanks for everyone that tweets into those. It just makes it a really good little feature. Ian owns it, by the way. So, yeah, like we said, don't try and copy it because you're going to have to uh, pay him some, some dues. But let's uh, let's call it a night, guys, because we've been talking for quite a while. I'm going to go off and worry about Ian's futuristic war <laughs> that might happen that ends up with a, an Everton guy loan for us. <laughs> or oh, yeah. Tech for us. Oh, yeah, that Dominic Calvert-Lewin's not done bad since he was last here. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when Google and Amazon go to war and it's just sort of like uh, just basically clones going to war, we might we might get them involved or something. <laughs> but but guys, thanks for uh, joining in as usual, and we'll speak next week. Take care. Great stuff, guys. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Nice one. See you later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.